Welcome to a series of podcasts from the Irish Linen Centre and Lisburn Museum. In these podcasts, we talk to historians, journalists, authors and community practitioners and invite them to share their research, their love of museums and their thoughts on the role museums play in society. This podcast has been made possible with the generous support from Lisburn and Castlereagh City Council. Hello and you're welcome back to the Irish Linen Centre and Lisburn Museum on the day of our final talk of the Winter Talk series. And joining me today is Professor Peter Gray, Director of the Institute of Irish Studies in Queen's University, Belfast. And he's here today to talk about William Sharman and the Lisburn and Lambeg Volunteers. Peter, you're very welcome to the Lisburn Museum. Thank you, Barry. Peter, this talk that you're giving this evening is part of a wider piece of research you're doing and, and you're publishing that. It's coming in a forthcoming book. Could you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, so the, the book is a, is a study of, of a man called William Sharman Crawford, uh, born in 1780, died in, in 1861, who is the kind of leading um, agrarian but also political radical figure in Ulster politics in the kind of 1830s to 1850s. So the connection with William Sharman is William Sharman is his father, uh, and uh, you know he, um, uh, as I'll, I'll, I'll speak about in the in the talk, emerges from a very conventional Anglo-Irish background into into being really the kind of leading spokesman of the radical wing of the Ulster Volunteers in the 1780s into the early 1790s. So the book really is a, is a study of this family, uh, which kind of emerges uh, in in County Down. Um, uh, as, a, as a leading kind of political family, uh, really from the 1780s, and then continues this tradition through the uh, mid-19th century into the late 19th century as well as William Sharman Crawford's uh, sons and daughters continue to play a political role. William Sharman has very strong connections here to Lisburn. Could you tell us about his role in civic society in Lisburn? Yeah, so he's he's appointed the revenue collector of Lisburn in 1756. Large, it's largely a patronage appointment arranged by his uncle, so that is one of the kind of important central government appointed roles uh, in a district like this. But he's responsible for collecting the the taxation on uh, alcohol, uh, tobacco, uh, for example, on behalf of the government and remitting it to Dublin. So in that role, he he gets to know the town extremely well. You know, he he uh, observes it as it emerges into a significant industrial centre uh, in the mid eighteenth century. Um, so that by um, by 1783, he's in a position to stand for election as one of the two MPs uh, of of the town against the interest of the proprietor, the landowner of interest, Lord Hartford. And doing a bit of background reading, he has a lot of connections with people who we have researched here in the museum, like Wills Hill, the the Marquis of Hillsborough. Mm-hmm. Where does he fit in among? All, all these people, the Rawdens, etc. Yeah, he's very close to um, to the first Earl of Moira, uh, John Rawdon, the first Earl of Moira. Uh, uh, it, 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 indeed, Rawdon um, uh, rents the the castle, Moira Castle, to him and to his wife Arminella uh, in 1774, and they live there u- until after uh, William Sharman's death in, in 1803. So they're they're, they're very close uh, to um, to the Rawdens. Um, but over time, they, they become, and particularly uh, William Sharman, becomes very close to, if you like, the radical the radical infrastructure of the town of Lisburn. Um, his, his colleague, when he stands for election in 1783, is another volunteers officer, uh, um, William Todd Jones, um, who uh, is also kind of from, from an Anglican small landowning background. But the two of them stand very much uh, as... Um, 
advocates of democratic reform and Catholic emancipation in 1783. And these are extremely radical positions to take. And indeed, they're elected. Um, they're elected on a kind of surge of, of, of popular opinion in the town. And there are parades and celebrations. Um, and uh, they hold this position as MP, the two of them jointly as MPs for the town until 1790. And Peter, you, you mentioned that he was a member of the Irish Volunteer Movement and he was elected to the, the, the Volunteer Convention. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the, the Irish Volunteers and who they were and what their aims were? So the Volunteers emerged in 1778 initially as a, a kind of local self-defence organisation they're, uh, they're not supported by the state. They're independent uh, of the state. And they're very much the creation of local initiatives, starting in Belfast and then spreading out across the country. Uh, by 1780, uh, there are volunteer companies in, in Lisbon. There's several companies uh, in Lisbon. Uh, there's one established in Moira as well, uh, Balna Hinch, and, uh, and other places across uh, County Down and, and, and County Antrim. Um, William Sharman is uh, elected because they are kind of quasi-democratic organisation. He's elected uh, captain of the Moira Company uh, in 1781. Now he makes a large financial donation, helps to purchase them weapons and uniforms. Um, but by the following year, 1782, he's been elected to the uh, the new regiment that's been set up, which unites the Moira Balna Hinch one of the Lisburn companies and uh, Rosevale near Lisburn as well, its company as well. Um, so he's the he's the colonel or the lieutenant colonel, later the full colonel of the Union Regiment of Volunteers established at that time. And he moves on from that, really, to put himself at the forefront of political activity uh, involved with the volunteers. Um, local uh, meetings of the volunteers, uh, demands for, uh, for legislative reform. And uh, he is... Um, uh, elected a member of what becomes the, the Second Dungannon Convention in 1783 uh, and chairs that convention meeting in Dungannon, which is the great meeting of the Ulster Volunteers, which comes up with a very radical programme of parliamentary reform, including annual elections, um, um, uh, seek the secret ballots, uh, significant uh, electoral reform, banning of bribery, all those sorts of things, which you don't really see actually put into practice until towards the end of the 19th century. You, like you, you've mentioned, your forthcoming book very much focuses on his son. Does his son take on any of the the radical elements of his father's character? Yes, very much so, and very self consciously so. And he he writes um, he writes a, a, a personal memorandum, a kind of I suppose a biographical statement for his own children in eighteen forty four, where he makes it quite clear that he hasn't he learnt his political values uh, from his father. Uh, in in seventeen eighties and seventeen nineties, and that he is seeking to implement uh, his va- his father's political uh, ambitions, uh, including democratic political reform, but now also um, tenant right, agrarian, significant agrarian reform as well uh, in the eighteen thirties and eighteen forties. So very much there's a looking back from the mid nineteenth century to these kind of glory days of Ulster radicalism in the seventeen eighties. You know, much of the historiography on land reform and land agitation really falls on the 1870s, 1880s and Michael David, the Land League and Charles Stuart Parnell. Do you think that, you know, the earlier radicals like William Sharman Crawford and his father have been somewhat been forgotten about? I think in terms of land reform, we, we, we understandably put a lot of focus on obviously the, the period of the Land League uh, from the late 1870s onwards and, and its, its significant players. But the Land League itself is modelled very much on an earlier organisation called the Tenant League, 
which formally emerges in 1850, but has antecedents going back into the late 1840s. And uh, William Sharman Crawford is a central figure in the development of that tenant league uh, and its political pro- program, which um, which is very similar in, in many ways to the, the land leagues program uh, of 1879. Um, so I think to understand the later land uh, your land agitation. You need to look back to to it, its origins, its roots, the development of its, if you like, its political language um, in the in the eighteen forties and the eighteen fifties, and and, and Sharma Crawford's pretty central to that. So, Peter, you are based in the Institute of Irish Studies in Queens, and for our listeners who are perhaps not familiar with it, it's a, a centre for cross disciplinary study. What role do you think an institute like Irish Studies in, in Queen's University has or can have with public museums such as the Lisburn Museum? Well, our mission is very much to promote the study and understanding of, of Ireland culturally, historically, uh, politically, uh, in all its aspects and its relationship with, uh, with Britain and with the wider world. Uh, as well, and we do that through a number of different ways. You know, we we, we have research events, and uh, we we run an MA program, for example. Uh, but one of the things that we're very keen to do is to work with uh, with the, the the cultural institutions and the um, uh, the, the local history museums um, across the island, specifically in our in our own region. You know, around Belfast and and, and in East Ulster. Um, we're keen to get uh, students, for example, in in into placements with with um, institutions like um, Lisburn Museum and and Linen Heritage Centre, so that they can learn, you know, uh, f- uh, from the expertise of the people working in institutions like this, but also contribute um, uh, as part of their their, their degree program to the life of those institutions. We work very closely with um, a new centre for public history in Queens, which has been established in the last few years, whose role very much is to engage. Uh, with history outside the academy, uh, outside the, uh, the the university sector, with the the, um, the the heritage institutions and the cultural institutions, um, so we see our role very much as as a collaborative one, working within those those uh, spheres. Now, Peter, your research is is quite extensive, uh, particularly on this forthcoming book. From from what you've told me. Is there one item that you've come across, perhaps you haven't, you've only read about it, or you've you've actually seen it that you would place in the Lisburn Museum? Well, I think if we could negotiate it with the Ulster Museum, where it currently is, there's a wonderful portrait uh, of William Sharman, which is painted by by Thomas Robinson, uh, who's li- who lives in Lisburn, who's an English artist living in Lisburn in the in the 1790s, and the portrait of William Sharman has him in in his volunteer uniform, very much. Um, uh, you know, and, to, and, and, and with a ba- in the background, there's a volunteer parade taking place. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful portrait. The interesting thing about it is it's painted in 1798, in this year of of, of, of chaos and upheaval, uh, and the collapse of all the kind of you know reformist ideals that William Sharman had believed in so strongly, uh, with the the failure of the 1798 rebellion. Um, so the painting itself, I think, represents. A hope for the future, looking back to the past, but also a hope for the future that that this kind of you know tremendous setback of the defeat of the 1798 rebellion uh, to reformism will be will be transcended. Um, so that portrait, as I say, currently uh, is in, in storage somewhere uh, in the vaults of the Ulster Museum. So it'd be, it'd be great to see it kind of come out of storage and and perhaps make its way down up or up the lagon, we should say, yeah. to to Lisburn and to be shown here as well. That I, I would lo- I would love to see that myself, Peter. Uh, thanks very much for joining me, and 
you're very welcome to the Lisburn Museum and we're all looking forward to your talk later. Thank you very much. Thanks.